we keep trucking through the book of Genesis, we find our text this morning from Genesis chapter 13, beginning with verse 2 and going down to verse 12. Listen now to God's word to us. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that that so that the land could not support both of them living together, for their possessions were so great that they could not live together. And there was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herders and my herders. For we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Family Drama Week 3. So we've skipped ahead a bit in our Bibles in the book of Genesis, but don't worry. It's not because there was a lack of drama. We skipped over the wickedness of humankind and how it got so great that God looked at it and said, you know, I'm going to blot out all human beings that I have created, and because of them, all of the other animals that can't swim. They are so evil, and I have regretted making them. But there was one human family God thought was good enough to keep alive, just one. So God keeps them alive in a huge boat. Yes, that is Noah's Ark. A bit later, a man named Abraham comes onto the scene. He's living with his people, and God tells him to go where God will lead him. Somewhere that direction. So Abraham goes, and he takes his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all their stuff. They set off into the desert Then, unsurprisingly, in the desert, there's a famine. Who would have guessed? Living in a place of constant drought, there wasn't enough food. So, in search of food, Abraham takes his crew to Egypt. But as they cross the border, Abraham looks at his wife and he says, You know what? You're really beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, I'm thinking when the Egyptians see you, they'll want to kill me so they can marry you. My plan is this. Why don't you just tell them that you're my sister? That way, if they want to marry you, they won't kill me. Yes, this actually happens in the Bible. This is God's person, God's dude. He's a coward. So he throws his wife right under the bus. 
When the Egyptians see Sarah, they do take her to be the wife of the king of Egypt because she is that beautiful. And Abraham sighs in relief because he's not dead. Never mind the fact that his wife is gone. God has to step in because clearly Abraham won't. And God crushes the king and his house with diseases and plagues until the king finally looks at Abraham and says, What is wrong with you? Why didn't you just tell me that she's your wife? Here, take these camels and donkeys and sheep and oxen and anything you want. Just get out of here and take your wife. This is all leading up to where our story starts today. Abraham now at this point is rich in livestock and gold and silver. His family, wife, nephew, all of their servants travel back to where the famine was. And there Abraham is humbled. He calls on the name of God. What do you think he said? Thank you for saving me and my wife. I'm sorry I was a coward. Why did you bring me to a land of famine? Help me be a better husband. Whatever he says, he calls out to God. Then there they are, this extended family with servants and camels and donkeys and sheep trying to live in the desert, what they realize all huddling there together, a dysfunctional, crazy family is that there's too many of them in the same place. So, they decide to separate, and they head in two different directions. Separation. For anyone dating, it's the dreaded conversation. We have to talk. It's not working out. I think we're headed in two different directions. We need to separate. Or your boss walking in, I'm sorry, we're headed in a different direction. You have until the end of the week. Thanks so much for your service. A separation in the Bible isn't all bad. Sometimes we get this sense, I think, that our Christian obligation is to be buddy-buddy, best friends with everyone. We're friendly and happy and family and friends. Right here, living on top of each other. Which is great. In a world where people never disagreed, we wouldn't need separation. In a world where things never got awkward, you would never need separation. In a world where companies didn't have to make hard decisions, where people never said things they can't take back, in a world where people were actually robots, you wouldn't need separation. That is not the world of the Bible. It's not the world of our families. Separation is a part of life. Because there really is such a thing as too close. For Abraham and Lot, it's that there wasn't enough water in the desert for hundreds of mouths, so they separated. Separation can really be this practical. As teenagers become adults, they start making more and more of their own decisions, life choices. They disagree with how their parents do this, how they do that, how they cook breakfast, Everything is under scrutiny. So eventually, what do they do? Separate. They move out. They live in their own house where they can make their own decisions about cooking breakfast or what's on TV. When you don't separate, it can be very stressful. 
There was this guy who, due to financial reasons, moved back into his parents' basement. The job situation looked one way. It turned out another. Salary wasn't sufficient to make ends meet, so his parents graciously opened their doors to him and his wife. We heard about this from both sides. Not enough separation. Two married couples, one house, one kitchen, one other kid who was home from college for the summer. As the months ticked by, the desire, I mean the need for some separation, grew. I must leave. They need to go. This separation isn't a lack of love. I think that's one of our fears. But if we're honest, we live in a teeny, timely hamlet of a town, do we not? Even if it's not a small town that you live in, you have your group of friends, you have your church, and we're not often good about giving each other space. We avoid separation because it would mean we don't love each other enough. Something is wrong because we need space between us. But that's the wrong reaction. Separation can be the only loving reaction. It can preserve love. Take it from your pastors who work together, live together, eat dinner together. Space can be good. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll read about Paul and Barnabas. These two are a a dynamic duo of preaching, teaching, miracle healing. When the church commissioned the two as missionaries, they sent them out as a pair. Well, they were crushing it, doing a wonderful job. Then they bumped into this guy named John, who everyone called Mark. He had deserted the two on one of their previous trips. So... Paul had no desire to work with him again, but Barnabas, the more merciful of the two, wanted John, who everyone called Mark, to tag along. The Bible tells us the disagreement became so sharp that Paul and Barnabas parted company. The decision to separate doesn't mean they don't continue to respect each other. It doesn't mean they're no longer friends. It's the only way they can remain friends. If they continue together, the constant friction of John, who everyone calls Mark, is going to drive them crazy. It will overwhelm all their positive memories. Paul and Barnabas will want to kill each other. They will cease to be friends. They need separation. So they part ways. There are times this is the only way. There may be family members you can love for three hours at Thanksgiving, then Christmas, maybe a weekend visit, but you need breathing time in between, some space. You guys live over there, we'll live over here. We won't talk about politics or your theories about the medical sciences, and we will be able to continue liking each other. You don't know if there's a reason that family you visited for dinner only eats raw vegetables and their cats have a palace larger than your kid's room. But as long as you can follow that dinner with an immediate fast food run, then you can continue liking each other. Distance isn't a sign that you don't like each other. It's simply a concession to difference. We're not all the same in this room. We're just not. I really hate to break it to you, but this is just how it goes. 
Breakups need separation. Don't be friends with your ex, at least not right away. That's messy. You need space to let the chips fall. It's the only way you'll ever be friends, if at all. You have to go different ways for a while. Best friends and couples need space. You cannot share every inch of each other's lives. It is no good. Find other friends, other hobbies. The world has to be larger than this two-person circle. You need separation. It doesn't mean we hate each other. It doesn't even mean we don't like each other. Sometimes, like Abraham and Lot, separation is just a part of life. It's the product of what you need to do. You need to separate to get work done, or to go to school, or to clean the house, or to not step on your wife's toes when she's organizing because she has a very particular system. No, I am not talking from personal experience there. Or you separate to find a job. There was a man we knew who commuted to and from work, from Chicago to Florida, gone for weeks at a time that separation hurt. They missed each other, he and his wife. This kind of separation is simply a tragedy. We've heard about the churches that have separated even in this town, one group staying, one leaving. Church families do it for a multitude of reasons. Families do it too. She said that, he did that. Now they won't be seen in the same place. They don't talk. They're separated. But the Bible understands separation. I mean, it understands that there are good and bad reasons for separating, good and bad ways to separate. It doesn't let us off the hook. Separation can be self-serving. It can be selfish. Separating over small issues instead of compromising, separating and turning it into hatred. Those separations are bad. Separation can be self-serving. On the flip side, refusing separation can also be self-serving. You see, the Bible understands separation. Some space is important, even between people who love each other, maybe especially between people who love each other. Abraham and Lot, they step on each other's toes. They need to separate. You go that way. I'll go this way. We'll stay family. Please stay in touch. If something happens, I will be there in a second. Until then, may God bless you and your family. Or Barnabas and Paul. If John, who everyone called Mark, stays with Paul and Barnabas, they won't stay friends. So they separate to hold on to the friendship. When my family returned from being missionaries in Colombia, my father started working for the denomination in cross-cultural ministries. He would travel the United States planting non-English-speaking Cumberland Presbyterian churches, Hispanic, Korean, Sudanese. Lots of visits he would do, and he would start relationships with them and begin a church. Often there would be two Cumberland Presbyterian congregations that would share one space, One congregation would finish their service. The other congregation would come in and begin their own. Well, oftentimes the host congregation, usually the English-speaking one, would ask my dad, why don't they just join us? They don't need to be their own church. They can join ours. We're both 
Cumberland Presbyterian. You can see the right intention here. As Christians, we are united in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are one. We are united. But the follow-up question is this. Well, you see, they speak Spanish. Are you interested in having your service in Spanish every other week? Huh. Guess I hadn't thought about that part, but still, still, there might be a way. Well, another thing to think about is I went to their service yesterday, and it was three hours long. They sang for 45 minutes, then an hour sermon, then more singing, and then praying. So I assume if you're joining services, you're thinking about including a three-hour service every now and then. Huh. Three hours and an hour of preaching? Just like that, the talks of a single service would end. But there are people who stay separated while still being united. It takes creativity. It takes effort. That's where our calling as Christians begins to hit the ground. Some churches do a preacher exchange a couple times a year. It might require an interpreter, but it means that the church's lives bleed into each other. Other churches do a choir exchange or a couple combined services a year with a picnic after. These churches have come to realize that it doesn't make sense for them to be one church, but they are still united in Christ. So they find creative ways to celebrate that unity. As God's people, this is our call, finding ways to share our identity in Christ. Look at this congregation right now. Take a peek at those around you. People here, they're not all your best friends. Some, maybe. Others, you're not planning on taking out to lunch. That's just reality. There is separation there. But here, we are gathered together by the power of Christ's blood, by the strength of his salvation. And as we come to this table, at this table, we are gathered together by what Jesus Christ has done. It doesn't matter if you speak English or Spanish or Korean or Swahili. Those who follow Christ, this is your table. It's our family reunion. We set aside all our differences because Jesus says, I have prepared a feast. Separation, the Bible knows, is a part of life. It just is. But as Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. We may need space, even in this church, but let there be no strife. I know. It's a very convicting line. Let there be no strife between you and me. That's hard. Space, the Bible knows, can be a good thing. But that space cannot make room for strife. So, as we come to this table, let there be no strife between you and me. Let us pray. Lord, we see the ways that you continue to be faithful to us 
as one church family. Lord, we ask that you would show us ways to be united in you, to stand side by side with all of our differences and all of our different opinions and still understand that we are united by the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. As we come to this table in just a moment, we ask that you would fill us, fill us to understand how the other people around us work, how it is that we can work alongside each other, all of us, using our gifts for the same kingdom. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.